Greetings, friends. Welcome to the Pin Tool Podcast. My name is Al Wayman, owner of Creek Road Pottery in Laceyville, Pennsylvania, next to the cold Tuscarora Creek. Pull up your chair around the wheels. We discuss topics concerning the art and craft of pottery, good books, storytelling, marketing, and creating work that matters for folks who care. Greetings, friends. It's me, Al, from Creek Road Pottery. I'm sitting by the cold Tuscarora Creek on this beautiful late June night. And the moon is shining, a soft glow from the smoke from the forest fires from Canada. Um, It's got this orange tint to it. And you can hear the peepers and some night bird in the background there. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe you can even hear the cold creek, but I am out here on this late summer evening, and I wouldn't trade it for the world, friends. And it's another great day to be alive and to be alive as an artist. And that's that's pretty special. So at times we might beat ourselves up for not showing up And we might regret not doing some things. And we might regret making poor decisions at times. But all the little things we do as artists, no matter how big or small, it all adds up to who we are. And we have a choice in making those decisions, which which I think is, is amazing. Like, we have a choice to make goals and put things on the map and try to get there the best we can. So, just to give a little update on what's been going on at the pottery. I did not get a garden in this year, friends. I just did not have time. Um, Me and my wife have been very busy, and we had a lot of extra things going on. Um, So last month, you remember, I went to my nephew's eagle scout celebration and uh so that was pretty pretty nice and then uh my nephew just graduated high school and he's getting ready to go to college so we went to his graduation party uh this past weekend and uh they live quite some distance away so we uh were able to drive up there the beautiful upstate New York to the 3B farm and my brother-in-law who runs the podcast the homestead journey podcast we were able to be there with them and celebrate the accomplishments of my nephew and friends it made me feel like an old guy um so I got him I got him a gift. I sent him some books because uh, he's going to Bible school. So I got him the annotated Jewish commentary of the New Testament. And I got him the Jewish Publication Society Study Bible, Tanakh. So I'm going to have to replace both of those books in my library because I use them 
as reference when studying uh, biblical studies and also um, to look up research when I'm in the book clubs uh, with the Jewish community. And um, the rabbi that did the translations for my work on the small replica jars of the Dead Sea Scroll jars um, told me to just show up. He's Orthodox. Just say, hey, show up at our group. It's an online thing. So I just showed up. And by just showing up, uh, they gave me a job of doing readings and things in their services. And uh, so by just showing up, uh, that's all you have to do sometimes, right? And then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden you're involved, right? You're involved. <laughs> so the same way with the pots, just showing up. So another thing that I need to get done is getting the pad in for the wood kiln that I'm getting. Um, I was able to talk to the owners once again and let them know that I am committed to doing this project. It's just going to take some time. I need to get some loans uh, for, the, for the pad that I need to put down. And I need to have the, the contractor come over and take a look. Uh, he's worked with me before. I, I know the guy. He's, he's a really good guy. And uh, he's going to come over and take a look and then give me an estimate. And then once I have that pad in, I can start taking apart the kiln and putting all the bricks on pallets. Then the next job will be to find a stone hauler or a flatbed truck to bring the kiln over here and unload it for me. And then I need to get a pavilion put up over the spot. So that'll take some time. So, so my big goal is to get the pad in. The pad, it won't take long. I could probably get the pad in uh, while I'm taking the kiln down. Um, my big goal is to get all that done by July 1st of August. I am not sure if I'll get the kiln up um, by spring, but it's something that I want to work towards. Um, I could probably tinker with it slowly through the fall and winter and then maybe have a firing in the spring. Uh, I usually have a spring show on the bunny trail, so maybe it'd be nice to get some wood-fired pots out for that. So another thing I had was a small show I did at the um, local town down the road in Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania. They had Founders Day. And I had a scheduling conflict, so I had to work all night at the paper factory <laughs> and then throw everything into the car and take it down and set up my set up my tent and my table and my my shelving and it was pretty warm and it rained but I was able to get things all set up before the rain which was nice um, but coming off night shift it was it was a bit of a challenge not gonna lie I was half falling asleep and at that show uh, there was a gentleman who put an extra thing on his pole that blocked the view to my tent. 
And I was I was uh, real tired. I didn't even put the side panels on. They had their advertisements on their side panel. So it wasn't anything they did wrong. It, it was probably their standard operating procedure as a business and as uh, advertising to set up their to set up their space that way. Uh, I probably sh- could have got moved in with the other craft people because I was kind of in with the advertising and uh, because <laughs> next to me was an insurance tent and beside that was the solar people. But it, it was just exhausting, right? So I didn't confront anybody. I didn't, I didn't have a conversation about anything and, and I should have probably. I could have nicely went over and, and had that done. But it was it was kind of frustrating that they didn't realize it themselves what they were doing. But many times, it's just up to us to bring things up, right? Because if you don't bring it up and you just suffer through it like I did, um, you have a bad time for no reason when a little conversation could have taken care of it, probably, if you pointed it out and took ownership a bit of not only yourself, but the people around you, right? So, yeah, so I wrote, <laughs> I wrote some notes to myself on what not to do. And a lot of times, even when making the pots, if you're screwing up big time, right, you're, you're still learning, but, but, the, but you're still doing. And the fact is that I went down after work, after 12-hour nights, set up and sat there all day and showed people the work and talked about the pots and sold a few things. Um, I don't know. It just made me feel special that I was able to show up. I did get a few new customers. Uh, there were a um, customer that stopped by. She was from Texas. And uh, she bought a few pieces. And she seen the cup I was drinking coffee out of. Because I was so tired, friends. I had my wife running for coffee. Like the whole time. <laughs> she says, hey, I would like to buy that cup you, you're holding there. Uh, it's got a nice, nice color on the inside. Well, that one was for me because it was a bottom cracker, right? And I said, oh, I don't sell bottom crackers. And she says, well, what do you, what do you want for it? And I say, well, I really like this cup, but how about like five bucks? Because it's a bottom cracker. It didn't go all the way through. Like it was still usable. So I put it in with the other pots that she bought. And uh, when she got home, she sent a picture of it and tagged me on Instagram of her drinking a latte out of that. So that was extremely nice uh, because it said that it made it worth it to me to go through the effort to sell a pot to someone who cared, right? And um, I don't know, I, I just I just found that to make the whole day worth it. So a few other folks stopped by and bought a few things and uh, ended up being a pretty decent show. I made back my booth fee and um, a couple extra bucks that I spent on lunch. So I have really nothing planned until the fall show now. The schedule is wide open and... Hopefully I can build up a decent inventory for that fall show. And I have some ideas on what I want to do. Um, I may get back into candles. It's been a long time since I made a run of candles. So I may get back into that. 
But we're going to have a conversation about extreme ownership and what that is. And it's going to be a tough conversation. It's going to be exhausting. But we're going to get through it. And it, it's so nice out here. We're going to sit out here in the lawn by the creek at night. Hopefully the coyotes don't get us. But it's just so beautiful, friends. The stars are in the sky. It's just like a summer night. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So go grab a chair and get a coffee and meet me back here like five minutes. And we'll talk about extreme ownership and what that is. Okay, greetings friends. Gather around, uh, pull up a chair, and I'm sure there's room. We're in the we're in the big backyard tonight on this beautiful, beautiful summer night, and we're gonna have a conversation on ownership and extreme ownership. A little bit about what that might be. Extreme sounds exhausting already, right? So we're not gonna go crazy with it. The reason why I mention extreme is because there's a book by that title that I had for about a year. I, I went and bought it, and I just never read it until recently. And it was called Extreme Ownership, and it was written by two Navy SEALs, um, Leif Babin and Will Linick. And... Um, I'll post a link to that in the show notes. I'm pretty sure that's what Jocko Wilnick. Jocko Wilnick. And uh, I'll, post a, I'll post a link to that book down below in the notes, right? It was an excellent book. Um, but the topics in it were the same topics that Seth Godin talked about in a lot of his books. And the same topic that Viktor Frankl talked about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, and what we've talked about on this show. Um, it's about attitude. And having the attitude of total, total ownership uh, for everything you do and taking responsibility to do those things and not play the victim and not get ran over and depending on other people to do them for you because it's your life and it's your story and friends if I live to be 86 I probably only have about 15,779 days left right and if we always work with the end in mind it changes our perspective about things Friends, I am terrible at doing this. I'm going to be the first to admit it. So in the intro, I talked about that show I went to. I did not take ownership. I played the victim. That guy covered up my booth. <laughs> and I went on Clay Buddies online to the group, and I was just like crying about it. I was like, how could this guy do this to me? And people were venting and giving me advice. But the good people were saying, why didn't you go over and talk to him, right? That's all I had to do. 
I should have done that, friends. So that was a mistake on my part, and I should have went over, and it could have been handled fairly easy rather than me complaining and whining and getting my socks wet with tears running down my face and filling up my shoes, right, <laughs> with water. <laughs> so you can be the victim. You can be. But you have more choices not being the victim because you're putting things on the map and you're doing those things in small ways to work towards your goals, to tell your own story. And believe me, friends, you want to tell your own story because if you leave it up to other people to tell your story, they're going to do a horrible job at it. And they might say some things that you don't like. So, <laughs> so it's always good to tell your own story, put a destination on the map, and work towards it. So, um, I was reading uh, the books from um, Seth Godin, and he had a new book that just came out. It's called The Song of Significance by Seth Godin. And in there, he talks about a little bit about Zig Ziglar, the famous <laughs> marketing, um, the famous marketing and motivational speaker of the 70s and 80s. Zig Ziglar, if you have not heard any of his tapes or read any of his books, friends, you are missing out. He was like the Billy Graham of, of like marketing. And he sounded like Billy Graham too. And what I'm going to do for you is I'm, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to post in the, in the show notes a link to Zig Ziglar giving the water pump demonstration. And this guy was not only a good showman, um, a good speaker, and a good motivational speaker. Um, he was also good at his craft, storytelling, and using uh, story to get his point across, and to motivate people, and to um, change people's lives. Kind of like the ideas that Seth Godin does to help small businesses and uh, individuals. And what um, Stephen Pressfield does, uh, put out his ideas and philosophy on um, art and creating, which is, which is pretty amazing, right? So anyways, <laughs> Zig Ziglar, pretty amazing guy. Um, so Zig Ziglar was talking about in one of his tapes that I was listening to uh, on, on YouTube, he's saying that you should start your day with a positive attitude. And he talked about the alarm clock not being an alarm clock, but he, he called it an opportunity clock. So that's your opportunity to get up. And even in the book Extreme Ownership, um, the authors there talk about alarm clocks and just the act of getting up that first time when that alarm, alarm clock goes off and you're disciplined enough to get out of bed and start your day and making time to do all the personal things for self-care that you need to do really sets you up for success to have a better day than you would have if you would have just hit the snooze button six times, went to work tired without breakfast because you didn't get up and you showed up just in time, 
just in time for morning meeting at the office, right? And things went wrong. You were tired and miserable all day. But um, getting out of bed can simply be the thing that sets up your day for success. And also having a positive mental attitude. Um, One of the things that was amazing about the book Man's Search for Meaning and Viktor Frankl, through the whole ordeal of his time in the Nazi prison camps, Viktor Frankl uh, had this urge and attitude that he was going to write his manifesto on um, logotherapy. And he had a, a manuscript for that book in his coat. And I think he had it sewn in his coat, he said. And the Nazis found it. But through the prison camps when he was sick or when he, any, whenever he had any downtime, he would write his transcript on scraps of paper. By the time he was liberated, he wrote his transcript, you know. But through that whole thing, it gave him something to look forward to. And it put something on the map that he could work towards. And even though the Nazis in the prison camps of Auschwitz, uh, controlled everything that he did. He still had a choice in controlling his attitude and how he reacted to life situations. He could either act as a victim or he could act as being proactive and having choices more so than the one who just had things handed to him, right? So, so I guess it, it does take some courage because fear is probably one of the biggest things that hold people back. And, and Seth Godin and Stephen Pressfield talk about this in their books about, about the fear of, of being on the hook and about putting yourself out there that fear of um, messing up, that fear of things not working out. But if you just start, right, if you just start and you show up at the studio, you, you may be burned out, right? You may not even feel like working. But if you just show up and go down there, you'll, you'll never know what happens. Like uh, there's been many times where I have not felt like making pots um, after working a 12-hour shift where things did not go well at the paper factory, come home exhausted, um, and I have to handle mugs. I didn't feel like handling mugs. But friends, I made some pretty darn nice cups, even though the handles didn't get on the mugs, right? So I went down, um, trimmed some things, and just said, these things are not going to have handles. Let's make some lemonade out of the lemons and uh, try to have a better attitude about it and tried uh, to show up for myself sometimes. And I, I had a problem, too, of showing up at work and showing up for the team uh, is a lot easier than showing up for myself, right? So taking ownership, it's, it's the constant battle between what you should do and what you want to do. Or sometimes taking ownership 
can be the things between what you absolutely need to do and what you would like to do. So both Zig Ziglar and um, the guys from Extreme Ownership uh, really pressed home the idea of doing first things first. And Stephen Covey talked about this in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People also about doing first things first. And taking ownership, uh, I have a challenge with doing first things first. Not going to lie, right? I, I break all these things that I'm talking about. So <laughs> I procrastinate, friends. I need to work on this too. Like I like to keep a journal so that I can see where I'm at on the map and strive towards the goals. But I know there's a lot of goals that I, I didn't do because I simply didn't have them written down. Like I should be doing a few candle runs. I haven't done them. And I want to make pots for the shops. I didn't do that because I, I just didn't have it on the map. So I didn't I didn't feel I needed to work towards it. But sometimes I like doing all the fun things first, right? And then I do the hard things last and procrastinate and worry and just cry and whine about it. When if I would have done the first things first, it wouldn't have taken as long. And I would have been much happier in life. And sometimes I think it's not necessarily doing what you love. But learning to love what you do. Because it's it's good for you, right? So I remember uh, Zig Ziglar talking about... Here I am talking about Zig Ziglar again. Um, he's talking about how he found that he was a bit overweight. And he was going to run. And his first few days running, he did not like running. And he got up every morning, though, and did running. And after a year or so, when he set the goal on his weight, he was able to lose the weight on time and also feel pretty good about running because it was something that he did every day. And it became a habit, and he learned to love what he did because it was beneficial for him. So a lot of times people just say, oh, you know, just do what you love and find your muse and listen to your muse and find your inspiration. So I'm going to tell you a secret, friends. There's no such thing as a muse, right? There's no such thing as being inspired. Uh, you can be inspired by some things, but it doesn't last very long right what does last long and what does work for me anyways is when i just start first then inspiration comes then the muse comes but i need to do some kind of action first towards starting so anyways zig ziglar says he was a couple about two years or a year later he was running on campus and pass some college kids. And he realized that he really enjoyed running at that point. When at the start, he did not. So that's just a really cheesy, terrible example. But it just goes to show that maybe some of the stuff that we do um, to take ownership may not be all that fun. But if it's going to be beneficial 
to us and our businesses, uh, maybe we need to learn to love to do them. Because after we're done, right, we can feel good about our accomplishments when we take a minute or two uh, to look back on what we did accomplish and how far we did come and maybe the choices that were good that we made. And we can feel happy about getting through the hard times, right? So another thing that we can take ownership on, so I'm, I'm probably going on a bit here, but it, it's such a nice, nice night out here. I think I just saw heat lightning over there. That's, that's really beautiful. But another thing that we can take ownership on is um, taking ownership for things that maybe is not in the realm of our responsibility. Now, you kind of have to balance this out, right? Because you don't want to get pushy and you don't want to up, upend leadership. You don't want to upend your spouse or your significant other by being too bossy or pushy and stepping on toes. But nothing's saying that you can't offer kind suggestions in a way that might influence better outcomes if you see it. So one of the things that um, I learned from being on the farm, you would never say, oh, that's not my job, that's somebody else's. <laughs> right? You'd be, you'd, be looking, you'd be looking for another job if you told old Mr. Brandt, the farmer, right? Oh, that's not my job. If you're working the farm, the whole thing's your job. And if you didn't know how to do it, um, there's no reason why you couldn't learn. So um, it's, it's that way with life too, friends. And even on work teams at the paper factory, um, my, my, my leadership runs the team that way. And, uh, you know, it's all our jobs to run that. And it ends up being a really good way of doing things. And I'll tell you why. Uh, it gives you more flexibility and allows you to have more choices because you're ready. And a lot more people have a lot more skills that if one person is sick or on vacation, um, the other people can pick up the slack and do those things. So um, how does that pertain to you and your pottery? Right. Well, just like me, not going over and having the conversation with the solar people that were blocking the view of my tent because of all their signage. Right. I could have took ownership. Now, I could have just said, oh, I'm not going to do anything, which I did. Right. And I whined and complained about it, played the victim and just had a horrible, miserable, terrible time. Right. And I was tired and miserable. Or. I could have maybe said, oh, it's not my job, and got the show coordinator. And she could have went over and talked to them and told them. Or I could have took responsibility and took ownership and went over and had a friendly chat with the guy and said, hey, you know, I understand why you're putting this sign here. But if you step out here and look at my booth, your sign is like on, the, on your pole is over the 10 feet, I think. And 
you you're hiding my booth and I want to you know have a business here just like you so I would suggest maybe taking your sign off you know um, seeing what you could do to help me out a little bit because we're both need to be here all day so we might as well get along get along you know I, I could have said that it gave him a chance to either respond take the sign off before I went to the next step but but I didn't I just I just was so tired that I was just gonna be whining crying and complaining about it the whole time and having a grumpy day but <laughs> so life experiences sometimes get you to take good notes on things so um i wrote a whole bunch of things down that i needed to do to take better ownership into some areas that were not even mine so that's all i have for tonight and i hope that you're having an amazing day and i hope that you're making some amazing work and Time is limited, friends, and put something on the map if you haven't. Put yourself on the hook for something. Try something. Take ownership for something, and I'm sure it will enrich not only your life, but the work that you're doing and telling your story to the world because we only have so much time. And if you don't tell your story to the world through what you're doing, your actions, and your your artwork, and your creations, then somebody else will. And you may not like what they say. Or your story will never get told. Think, think of the millions. Think of the millions of people whose story have never been told. Right? You have a chance to do that. So, you just need to show up a bit, take ownership, do the best you can. You can eat a whole elephant taking one bite at a time. Doesn't need to be a lot, right? So be well, friends. Take care and happy potting. <laughs>